Hola, hola, familia. It's Odalis Jasmine, and you're tuning into Hello Latino. Today's guest is Melanie Chavez. For those of y'all who tune into my Hello First Gen audio series, you might recognize her name. We call her Latin America Chavez. If you get it, you get it. Melanie is such an incredible mujer whose passion is bridging the gap between our community, underrepresented communities, and career opportunities that can change their life and change the game. She's a first-generation college graduate who moved from home with nothing but a passion and willingness to succeed, and really, I think, is the epitome of defying these cultural expectations that are placed on Latina women. Melanie is now a tech talent sourcer, first-time home buyer, and a former Euro Town acquisition manager. Y'all are gonna, y'all are in for a treat. Let's hear from Melanie. You know, I'll tell you one of the things that I love about um, our prep call that we had is you talked about the Shiro's journey and so much to unpack with you on that. And I want to hear all about your story. And just first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for thank being you on for having Latina. me. Thank you for manifesting this with me. And thank you. Shout out to Manny for making this happen. Oh, yes. Shout out to Manny. Um, he's been pinging me. He's like, when is that episode airing? And I'm like, yo, we haven't recorded yet, but it's coming and it's going to be fire. Um, but let's start with the first question. And that's how do you identify and why? Yeah, I identify as Mexicana, Guatemalteca, Latina, Americana, first gen. I feel like I have a lot of identities and I can't just limit myself to one. Hmm, girl. Okay, I want to I want to stay here for a little bit on identity because I feel like the reason I love asking this question is because it's such a complex question to ask any Latino, right? It's yep. it's all the things Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latine. I'm Honduran, Guatemala. You know, it's the list goes on for for Latinos and identifiers. When did you start to like? Maybe this is kind of going into your story, but when did you start to embrace these different identities and really own the complexities of who we are? Like, how did you start to own all of the things that represent Melanie? Yeah, I think it comes with, well, first being, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles, um, Los Angeles, California, super diverse city and not really understanding where I fit the line because my dad is Mexican but born in the U.S. and my mom is from Guatemala born in Guatemala and moved here so it's like am I am I first gen am I not first gen like but then also going mm. to college and embracing a lot of that first gen mindset and just lifestyle um, and I felt like when I first moved from Los Angeles especially moving from Los Angeles to Seattle if you speak Spanish, everybody assumes you're Mexican. Everybody assumes you're Mexican. And though I am half Mexican, I'm like, no, but I grew up with my mom's side. Like, I ate black beans growing up. I'm like, you're Chapina. <laughs> like, I'm Guatemalan. So yeah, that's where it's kind of like, I'm all of the above. And like, I feel definitely Latina. Like, I use Latina and then for communal purposes, like Latinequis. And I was literally just having a conversation with my mom this morning about that. She's like, where did this Latin X come up from? Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, she's like, it's just Latino. And I'm like, mom. And I had to have the conversation with her about, you know, being gender neutral and the Spanish language being so gendered. And we had this whole 30 minute conversation around it. Um, but I think, yeah, just embracing all of the above, check mark to yeah. all of the above. And I also feel like I talk about this a lot. Like you start to almost like own these different parts of your identities when that time it's almost like a journey, right? Like you just talked about growing up, you were like, well, I'm Mexican and Guatemalteca. 
And then going to college, you're like, oh, I'm embracing the first gen. I feel like there's we almost pick up these identifiers and identities and parts of us as we go, because that's part of the story. Right. And then that's yeah. the Shiro's journey. And that's the story in general. That's what we're here on this planet mm-hmm. to do. Right. Is find ourselves, learn more about ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. So I love that you mentioned that. Loki feels it's like, about- it's like Jumanji. It's like, <laughs> it's right? like that, that constant yeah. adventure. Like you're going to, you go down one, you know, circle and the other, it's always discovering. And how you want to keep adding to those identities, right? It's like, that it's part. never ending because it's ever adding and ever changing. And it's like, you're the owner of your own story too, right? Like you get to, you get to decide, you get to control the narrative, write the narrative and it's yours. Uh, there's so I much I want to ask you. I have, and yes, <laughs> she said, yes. Um, I want to ask you about you, you kind of talked about growing up in Los Angeles and I, I'm not that far from me. I grew up in San Diego and still a very different vibe than LA to San Diego, but it's similar enough where it's that SoCal vibe, but you're growing up in the hood. So people vacation where you live, mm-hmm. but it's like, no, you don't come to my place to vacation. <laughs> so talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. growing up in LA, paint the picture for us. Like, what was it like for life, life and Mel- life with Melanie? Like, what was that looking like in LA? Yeah. You know, growing up and again it's it's this whole adding to the identity part from moving from LA to Seattle I'm I'm a light-skinned Latina so that's a whole part of the identity part too like being white passing but growing up I saw black and brown literally my entire life like and even being light-skinned nobody ever questioned if I was Latina or not like you just you're you're in the hood you know you're Latina because you're either Latina or Hispanic or you're black like that's what I saw growing up in all parts of LA mid-city and then most recently South Central and just understanding the complexities of like if we saw white people and when I mean by white people is like white with blonde hair like and looking American because um you know like even me I dyed my hair blonde at one point um they'd be like the odd ones out they're like oh there's like you know Americans just bought the house on the corner and not like it was just such a melting pot of cultures even having access to like las tienditas and like little liquor stores and little liquor markets like we had panaderias everywhere like every three blocks panaderias pupuserias like that stuff was so readily available to me that it it, and I remember one time I had a college um mentor professor um not really professor he was like he worked at my college um and we had this like after school or after college event and um you know, I needed to ride home and he took me home and he said, oh, like we passed by um, the Echo Park. He's like, oh, it's like Little Mexico. And I'm like, no, Michael, it's not like Little Mexico, <laughs> um, you know, because he just didn't know. But I guess for him, it was just like, this looks like, you know, when I visited vacationing. Um, but yeah, mm. just culture was readily available to me. I, I didn't feel like that's all I knew growing up was those communities. Um, and even to this day, like my family, like, for example, like my parents met living across the street from each other in L.A. Like that's how oh, they met. Cute. And to this day, like my family, most of my extended family has never left like that neighborhood, that block. Like most people just don't leave, even though L.A. is mm-hmm. so big. Most people have never left that one block where I was like born and raised in. Like it's just they're still there. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of that, you left. So 
It did. Talk about, talk about, okay, this is like a super, <laughs> this is such an interesting conversation that we have as first gen, right? Like we, our families kind of grow up in these areas. We grow up in these areas. Culture, like you said, is readily available to you, which is such a like, people don't understand the value of having culture right at your fingertips. I didn't even know I had that until I left. Like, honestly, I was like, oh, it's not all like this. Like, you know, I didn't really grow up moving around a lot. So leaving that area, moving out, getting out of the hood, girl, I was like, oh, I'm for real out the hood. Like, this is so different. <laughs> so talk about like, you know, this this is culture. You're growing up in L.A. You're, you're growing up around so much of fa- familia, right? Like, that's what it feels like. Bubuceria, panaderia, like you're growing up around all of it. Talk about that feeling of, you know, wanting to get out because we had talked about that at one point, right? Like you got out and talk about that journey from L.A. to Seattle. Yeah, and it was really hard. So I left Seattle or I left to Seattle um, when I was 24 years old. I had graduated college at 22 and I was driving from South Central L.A. to Woodland Hills every day. That's where my first job was. I had a two-hour, one-way commute to this like nonprofit in Woodland Hills, and I did it every day. And it was my first mm. job, um, and I'm so grateful for that job. It taught me a lot about myself and about the world of work and being Latina, it, working in your first professional job and all the stuff that goes with it. Um, but by year two, I knew I wanted to leave, and Seattle had been calling me literally since I was, you know, in college. I had visited. Um, for Thanksgiving break one year and I came up here when I was 19 or 20 and I was like I'm gonna live here one day I told myself that almost every day for four years I said I'm gonna live in Seattle Mm. I'm gonna live in Seattle one day and you manifested it girl I I just spoke it every day I'm like I'm gonna live there I'm gonna live there and one day I literally decided to quit my job without a job in place I had no job I had a thousand dollars in savings but I had the dream. I was like, I'm, I'm going to live there. And I had a family friend up here also going through a life transition. She was an empty nester. Her two kids had left the house and she, she basically invited me to her home. She's like, why don't you come up for the summer? And if you find something, meaning work, stay. And if you don't, you can go back to your parents. And I'm like, heck no, I'm not going back to my parents. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to do it. So I quit my job the day before my 24th birthday. And my parents were they were so mad at me my dad like yelled at me he said I was quitting the best job ever like he didn't understand um because even when I took that job he's like Miha like it took me 10 years to to make what you're making and I I didn't think it was a lot back then and then because I quit the day before my birthday like my mom was so mad at me she didn't even like call to tell me happy birthday the next day like we didn't talk for a week um and I just wow. remember having even like a cousin come on me and tell me that I was a bad daughter for leaving. And like that hit, like no one wants to be told they're a bad daughter and just, you know, for chasing my dreams. But I just, I still did. I was like, no, I'm still going to go. So a couple of weeks later, I packed up my VW Beetle, two suitcases, had my thousand dollars in my bank account, <laughs> my student loans. And I just did it. And I didn't care at that point whether my parents were supporting me or not emotionally because they weren't supporting me financially anyways. Like they weren't funding this trip I was. Um, and at that point, I really just told myself, like, if I don't do it now, I'm going to regret this. And a huge part of that is 
knowing and understanding my great grandma, my abuelita Soila, her leaving Guatemala back in the day. Because she left all of her kids behind in Guatemala. Like my grandma, my, you know, my tios, my great tios, my tío. That's why my mom was born in Guate. But my great grandma left not knowing a word of English to come chase her dreams. And I'm like, if she can do it not speaking English, I can move two states up. And just knowing mm. that her journey started it, like this was my time to, to chase my dream. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I, I was going to ask you how your parents reacted because when I quit my job, same thing. They were like, why would you do something like that? Like, blah, 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 right? And then they kind of got around to it because I had to explain it to them. And you never have to explain those decisions to anyone. But I was like, your parents, they don't care how old you are. They're going to want explanations for every little thing. <laughs> and like some things mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'll explain it to you. Other things I'm like, not worth it. Um, but I think this, this like, you had like almost conviction in your decision. You're like, I need to do this for me. And I think like how, I, I don't know if you feel like this, but sometimes I feel like I question my decisions to like the 10th degree because I'm like, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for my parents? And what's fine, right? Do I want to do this for my parents or do I want to do this for me? And I'm always asking myself these questions like, what do I want, right? Like. Because it's such a, I don't know if you grew up like this, but my family always kind of made decisions for me. Like, I didn't really have a say in anything. And then growing up, you start to get a little more freedom. You start to realize, this is my life. This is my story. I get to decide what I want to do with my time. And then you make your decisions. Like, is that how you grew up too? Is that how you felt? You also told me you're Tedica, yeah, so. <laughs> for sure. Especially with like my dad. And you know, my dad bless him and you know I always have to remind myself that my parents grew up in a different time in a different mindset and different era and like I did feel like that like my dad was so controlling like I studied abroad in college and I remember just bracing myself to tell my parents because I knew my dad was going to yell at me and tell me like I couldn't go and all of that stuff but something that you said really important that stood out to me right now Jasmine is you said I don't know if I'm making this decision for myself or my parents and sometimes it's a little bit of both because it like moving it it is for myself I did that for me but in the back of my head I'm like I'm doing this for me to better my life so I could provide for my parents later it's like this this complex math equation like you know it it is for me and it's for my parents because at the end of the day like and I tell this to friends a lot who are who contemplate decisions I'm like they gave us our lives ours emphasis on ours yours and mine so we could live it Like it's our life. But yeah, growing up, I felt like my life wasn't my life. I felt like my life was in control of my parents, uh, especially like with my dad. And when was that moment? It might have been Seattle, but when was the moment where you started to feel like, oh, this is this is for me, like this is my story and I get to, you know, take ownership of it. Like when did you start taking the reins back in your life? Was it college? Was it Seattle? When was that moment where you just started to make decisions for you? It was... There was a very explicit moment in college when, um, so I was pre-med in college because, you know, growing up in the hood, not knowing college educated anybody but my teachers. um, All I knew was doctor, teacher, lawyer. So at the time I was pre-med and I was juggling 18 units of coursework and I was working like 30, 40 hours a week at a fast food restaurant. And I remember crying and I went home and I was 
complaining really to my parents on how hard it was. And I remember my dad got up and like yelled at me and he's like, you know, cussing at me. And he's like, why don't you blank quit already? Like quit school, quit your whining, quit and go to work. That's what I did. Cause my dad didn't, my dad didn't graduate high school. And he's like, that's what I did. Like, just go start working. And I think it was that, that moment. I was 19 and just him yelling at me and telling me to quit that like I went back and I changed my major I quit my fast food job. I took on less hours and I found like a part-time job at school working in like career services and career advising. And then I started helping students with their educational planning. And um, it was that moment that honestly kicked me in the butt (laughs) because I, again, back to not having support and being told by your, again, being told by your parents, like quit. Like I, I never, I never thought that would be such a thing, but also college wasn't really talked about. So it's like, it was such an unknown territory. Um, but the only known territory yeah. for my dad was to quit because that's all he knew. He did not pursue, you know, his education further. So what he knows is if you don't like something, quit and go to work. Um, but it was at that moment that I'm like, no, I'm in charge of my life. I'm in, I, I write the story. Um, and ever since then it was, always working towards different. And I don't like saying better because I don't think any path is better than anybody else's. I just want to say different. I wanted different. Mm. And I, I want to go back a little bit because we talked about growing up in LA. We talked a little bit about your Seattle trip and we'll talk about that Seattle trip and how it changed your life and how you're still there now. Um, I, I think you said you're moving back too, right? I'm actually moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, <laughs> I'm moving okay, to Nashville <laughs> two months. I've been in Seattle for five years and that went a whole way with like job switching and home ownership and all the things. But yeah, I'm moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Oh my God, look at you just traveling the world, yeah. writing your story. <laughs> I yeah. love it. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I want to go back because you're talking about your parents. And one of the things that I like to do um, and that I think is important is like a lot of understanding us is understanding how we grew up and how how our parents were, right? And I think one of the things that was super pivotal for me was understanding that my parents were humans at the end of the day, right? They weren't these superheroes that I made out to be, and they are in a lot of different ways, but I'm also so, it's so real that they're just humans that try to do the best that they could with what they knew, with what they had, right? And I love understanding the story of immigration. Where did that immigration story start for your parents? And tell us a little bit about how they met and the beginning of, of you. Yeah. So they met, they met in the U.S. Like I said, they were living across the street from each other. Um, so my mom came from Guatemala when she was young, I think like 10 or 12. So she had this weird, like, I had my childhood in Guatemala, but I grew up teenager-ish to adulthood in the U.S. And um, my dad is U.S. born and raised, um, but they le- they met living across the street from each other. And my dad's a little older than my mom. And I remember, you know, my dad being like, yeah, like your mom's like 15, going to like the market and stuff. And I saw her and like, but I couldn't talk to her because, you know, I was like 22 or whatever. And like then like my mom was friends with his cousin who lived next door to my mom. It was just like everybody just lived next to each other. And um, always, so I think it's always mom, like my, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my dad was fixing his cousin's car one day. So my dad's like a mechanic by like passion, not by, by, by trade or paycheck. So he's fixing his cousin's car <laughs> who was really good friends with my mom. And then she's like, Oh, 
meet, you know, Wendy and they went out for like burgers and a movie back in like 1990. <laughs> um and that was I it. That. that was it. And then I, I came and then nine years later, and that's a whole new story. My brother came. So there's, I'm the oldest daughter. And there's also a nine year age gap with my little brother. And also seeing how I was raised and how he was raised and the frustration that came around these gender norms of being, again, oldest daughter, and then seeing how he was raised, like way more baby than I was. And going through my teenage years seeing like they were less strict with him and I'm like what like I had all of this pressure and to this day like I talked to my therapist about it too I'm like I, I'm still trying to deconstruct like all of these different things that were placed upon me that were expectations that some of them were like self-inflicted but also thinking that I was supposed to do a certain way or life a certain way that my little brother hasn't been you know I guess like catapulted to in the same direction but um, something you said really important to me is that that the my parents at the end they did the best they could with what they have and I think about it a lot of like technology right like we have all this new apps and technology and <laughs> you know what the way they did life is so different to compare to like all the upgrades of thought processes and of uh, the way of life now that they just didn't have those tools back then. Even something like access to therapy, right? Like they just didn't have that to like heal their own inner child. So they parented the way that they knew how with the best that they could, doing the best. Uh, yes, and that does mean gender norms, right? Because unfortunately that is a thing in the Latino community happen all the time. I mean, I'll preface by saying I'm the baby of seven. So I had a very different experience than my oldest sister, who's the oldest of seven, right? same thing she has you know oldest daughter of immigrant syndrome it's not even a syndrome it's a reality she has like that reality that I will never understand and I'll never know but I will say the gender norms seeing my brothers being out till two in the morning and my mom all she did was just say like ¿Qué estás haciendo? if we were to ever just be out past nine she would be blowing up our phones coming out looking for us like Mm, girl, <laughs> we couldn't get away with half yeah. the things that my brothers got away with. And literally, I feel like they would get a slap on the wrist. We would get told, like, you're a terrible woman. Like, you're not supposed to be doing stuff like yep. that. Like, we would get we would get offended. <laughs> well, my brothers were like, okay, just don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But talk, mm-hmm. talk about that. Talk about, because you kind of said, oh, it's a different story at nine years old for you. Talk about, one, describe what it's like to be an oldest daughter of of just like a Latino household because it's a different, it's a different reality. Like, honestly, Jasmine, like, that's why I moved. I know people are like, you know, well, again, back to like moments and stories, these pivotal, these pivotal moments, back to the Shiro's journey, these like moments that catapulted me into that direction. Um, I remember going out one night, like with girlfriends, I had like one beverage, but I came home, it was like 1030 at night. And my dad was like on his car with his on my car with his arms crossed because I had Ubered. Like I, I, you know, I went safely. Like I didn't drive. I like Ubered. He has his arms crossed on my car waiting for me at 1030 at night. And he just starts yelling at me. And he's like, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? He's like, women, women should not be out this late, Melanie. And at that point, I'm like, I can't deal with this because at the time I was living with my grandma, I'm like, nope, this is it for me. And that's when I started really like looking at Seattle as my escape. I'm like, I've always wanted to go to Seattle. 
I'm ready. And just being told like women are not supposed to, to be out this late. And just like, again, with my little brother, like he, school, I guess, came easy for me. Um, I felt like with, with my brother, like they, he wasn't as pressured to like get good grades, for example. I remember when I was 11 um, and I went to a private school, private Catholic school, and I came home with my report card and I got a B in my religion class. And like my mom yelled at me. She's like, what is this, Melanie? She's like, this isn't straight A's. You always get straight A's. Like, you know, and like, I think I got like punished for like a week. Like, I don't know, some type of grounding back then. It was so long ago. And I just like those, those little moments that are like, they're very, they're very like traumatic at the time and triggering. It's like, I can't get a B. Like B's aren't bad. But then like my little brother would come home with like B, C's, D's, like a mix of all the alphabets. And it's like, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's, it's, it's him. Like, it's just, it's fine. And Again, being frustrated with like, well, you yelled at me when I got a B, but he doesn't get yelled at. And um, those things have really impacted my adulthood, um, especially again, like when we talk about that first job of like always performing for others or feeling like I have to be on all the time or everything has to be perfect because if it's not A worthy, it's not good enough and Bs aren't good. So in work, it has to be A plus worthy. You have to go above and beyond to it. It's like if you're getting graded in life, like you have to do A work, but like not tying your worth or your value to your performance. We live in such a performance-based uh, like country and culture and we can't just be, it always has to be, I think that's what happens with like the American culture and like burnout because people are always like, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing rather than just being. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard like, we're human beings, not human doing. Um, but that has really just like impacted the way like I work and I've toned down a lot in the last couple of years. But, you know, to this day, like it's still, it's, it's triggering and back to being the eldest daughter. I do feel pressure. I feel pressure to take care of my parents when they're older and retired. Um, you know, I feel like my brother's not going to be the one doing that like I am. And I know that like my mom, my mom's been a housewife her whole life. She doesn't have retirement funds. She doesn't, you know, like uh, I joke with this with one of my best friends. Like we talk about where are parents 401ks? <laughs> like we are their retirement. <laughs> and I understand that. 401k Melanie. Um, but again, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would be like Mel Mellow 1K. I don't know. <laughs> but um Mellow 1K. I, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, like I I come to terms with it and like obviously I'm not gonna let my mom be on the street, but like I think again with the whole leaving and doing something for me or for my parents, it is for both because if I'm not chasing my dreams now, I am not gonna be able to provide for my parents later. Like I need to set myself up for success now in the now, in the today, so I can give them a better tomorrow. Y'all know this platform is all about celebrating la cultura and showing up as your authentic self. And that's why I'm extra excited that today's episode is brought to you by Chispa. This is an app that you can download on your phone right now if you're looking for love, trying to meet new people, or to find the next novio or novia you're bringing to the family party. So check this out. Chispa is the number one dating app para Latinos. This is a place where you can connect with someone like you, someone who loves nuestra cultura, someone you can be your authentic self with, and someone who can be abuelita approved. 
Yeah, I know I'm currently in a relationship with someone who's proud of his Puerto Rican roots. And let me tell you, it's so nice to be with somebody who loves the music, the food, the culture, just as much as I do. But most importantly, I love that there are certain things I don't have to explain. O sea, I can be hella Latina and he just hella loves it. So if you're single, go on Chispa, find your Boricua Bay, your Honduran Bay, tu Colombiano, tu Cubanito. And the next time your tia starts asking y el novio, or they want to set you up on a blind date con el vecino, just download Chispa to meet your next papacito or mamacita to introduce them to. Uno nunca sabe, something amazing can come out of it. Check out Chispa, tell your single friends too, it's free. Time to meet your media naranja. Ooh, girl, you are speaking to my soul right now because I feel like the four, first of all, the Mela 1K, real. Um, but also this pressure, it's, it's like we're dealing with double pressure, right? Like not just becoming like successful so we could take care of our parents, but it's also, that's, that's the overarching pressure. Then there's this like pressure underneath it where it's, I have to perform A plus or I'm not good enough. Like that pressure, girl, I feel it to my core. I remember my freshman year, we had went freshman year high school. We had, you know, went through our, our, you know, homelessness and we went through all the things that we went through. And then we moved to this new place that was kind of, it was out the hood. It was this like middle class-ish area. There were seven of us living in this two bedroom little cottage looking thing. And I went to a better school because obviously a better neighborhood, better school. Went to that school and I felt so dumb, failed my first class and I, I got anxiety. Like, I don't even know how to describe this anxiety. I got like so terrified. I did not want to tell my parents because I'm like, they're going to be so disappointed in me. Like I can't. And that pushed me to work 10 times harder. I got tutoring on my own. I like was, I made sure I passed every single class with an A after that. But it was so overwhelming, that anxiety, that pressure and feeling lonely because you couldn't tell your parents what happened because they were going to feel a type of way. Couldn't tell anyone like that pressure. I feel it in the opposite way. You're talking about oldest daughter. They put pressure on me because I was the youngest and none of my siblings had done anything. And so they were like, well, you're a citizen. You can do things that they can't. So you better do them. And I was like, okay, I got it. I'll go to college. I'll do this. I'll get straight A's. It's a lot of pressure. It's all the pressure all around. So yeah, you're, you're hitting, you're hitting my soul right now. <laughs> yeah. And I hear a lot of stories. I do a lot of work in the nonprofit sector and I volunteered once with these really cute little awesome high school kids. And there was a girl, she was like 13, 14. And she had said something like that. She had said, you know, her ability, she feels like she's not worthy if she doesn't get a certain grade on like a paper, like that she's not good enough. And like, that's so sad to me. And I'm like, do not, you know, I, you know, coached her the best way I could. Like, how do you tell these young kids, like, you wish, I wish somebody would told me this at 13, like, hey, like, life is not straight A's. <laughs> like, that's not how mm-hmm. life works, um, you know, and it's not about the grade. Like, don't put value on it because also grades are biased. They're biased. That's, I don't like grading systems like K through 12. We can have a whole conversation about that offline. But oh, girl, yes, grades can. are so biased and, you know, it, it's not. It's not a measure of somebody's capacity to do well in life. And that's what I wanted to tell her. Yeah. And that's so true. And I want you to say it louder for the people in the back because that's so real. Like 
when you think that a GPA, a grade defines who you are and how worthy you are, that's not a that's not a good life to live. Like you feel like you're just under pressure all the time and you're not you're not being right. You're doing because you want to be the best. And to this day, I, I struggle with like gratitude and also like, what the hell? Like, you know, because I'm like, I'm grateful that they pushed me because look at where I am now. And I'm also like, okay, well, what the fuck? I could have enjoyed a little bit more of life if I just, you know, put the papers away a little bit and then just kind of enjoyed, you know, I mean, <laughs> I struggle with that. I'm like, I'm grateful, but I'm also like, I want my kids. I want other people. I want our future generations, you know, the young people in society right now, I want them to feel empowered to also live and be and discover themselves and discover who they are and yeah, make the best Amen. out of life. And that's, I love that amen yes with you on that like I think about that too and having like my kids and I'm like I want to always ask them like are you happy does this make you happy and asking them because at the end of the day like we get to choose how we parent but we all, I want to give my kids choices like does this make you happy and like just have them answer that literally answer that to me like yes or no because I you know I think we have something beautiful like our I don't call it because it's not a struggle it's just it's part of the journey but we get to choose. And speaking of that journey, you're talking about how you kind of unlearned that throughout your career and throughout your life, right? Like trying to be perfect all the time, having to be perfect. How did you start to unpack and unlearn those things for people who are listening that are like, I still struggle with this because I do. I mean, it's selfishly for me too. <laughs> but like, when did you start to peel back those layers and kind of unlearn those things? It was definitely through my spiritual journey. Um, so I grew up born and raised Catholic, but I, I went away from, I still believe in God. I just started becoming more spiritual and also reframing words. So for example, like I could easily say like, unfortunately I was raised X, Y, and Z, but now I've been starting to say, fortunately I was, fortunately I had these experiences that allowed me to grow through. So reframing, right? Like we don't, go through anything we grow through it and really seeing the end of what I went through and what I learned so it really started through my own reframing and also this desire to take the healing journey which I'm still on I've been in therapy on and off since college but right now I've been in therapy pretty much weekly since last year and you know I talk to my therapist about this every week and I have a journal like really understanding my story and taking the victim mindset out of things like I used to blame a lot when I was younger like so and so did this my parents the world why was I born into this you know family blah 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 and I started back to like the the understanding that I am writing my story every day and constantly reframing and rewording because we are the authors of our stories we hold the pens and it's you can have external circumstances around you that you can't control, but you are always in control of how you navigate. Like you can be driving through, you know, I speak Seattle metaphors. You can be driving right now and it's sunny because it was literally an hour ago it was sunny and I'm driving and it starts raining. You know, I couldn't control that it started pouring rain, but I'm driving the car. I'm the one in charge of the vehicle. And even though it was super sunny, like I'm like, I still got this. Like I know where I'm going. Like I know I have to slow down a little bit because it's pouring rain. So, you know, 60 to 55 I'm going to take this exit because I'm going to there's traffic up ahead like understanding that we are constantly writing and then the way we say things is when I started learning oh I love that metaphor you kind of low-key said it like 
you're the one writing and you're talking about a car, but you're also talking about writing your story. Girl. <laughs> I speak in metaphor a lot. A lot. You speak in metaphor. I love it. I wanna I wanna talk about Seattle for a little bit because you made this decision at 24 years old to leave, to leave home. And I think that's always a big decision when anyone decides to leave home. Um, I think that's really where the growth begins to happen because it's really just it's you out there in the world discovering who you are. Talk about Seattle. How was Seattle transformative to to your journey? Oh my gosh. Seattle. I was telling my mom this earlier too. I grew up, I feel like, so I didn't go away for college. I stayed in this, you know, commuter school. I lived with family. Like I wasn't living with my parents, but I was living with family and family friends. But my school was 30 minutes away from home. And I had always wanted to go to school out of state. And I feel like these last five years living in the Pacific Northwest was that out-of-state college experience that I really craved and desired. I remember my first six months like arriving or just living here. I had such extreme culture shock. You know, I'm a very direct, blunt person. Like, I'm like, tell you how it is. Like, and I remember people trying to communicate and it was just um, very like, well... And therefore, and however, and I just could not put two and two together. I'm like, are you, what are you telling me? Like, are you telling me yes? Are you telling me no? So that was one thing, like understanding people's communication styles. But I just remember like missing again, part of the culture, right? I had culture at my fingertips and then I moved to Seattle and I didn't. And my first six months here were so hard. Like I joined a bunch of community groups and things like that but it was still hard like it was still hard being away from home it was still hard not you know jumping into my car and you know driving to wherever I wanted that I knew was comfortable for me and knowing where I was going with my friends and I remember I I almost moved to Dallas Texas (laughs) because like my organization at the time we had a Dallas site and I'm like I can't do this anymore like I just I want I want to be around, you know, Latinos and not experience microaggressions. Like I can give you a whole list of like microaggressions I experienced like in my mm-hmm. first six months. And I'm like, and honestly, and I'm very honest with you, I did not know what a microaggression was until I moved to Seattle. I had never heard the term before. I had like <clears throat> I started hearing it and then I was like, oh wait, that happened to me too. Like I got asked if I spoke Mexican once. I had, you know, my last name chopped up. I, you know, I had all of these experiences that I'm like, nope, I need to move. But then after those six months, I was working at this amazing nonprofit and seeing my students go into these corporate spaces and also experiencing those same things. I was like, no, I need to be here. I still need to, I have a lot of work to do. And we're going through the journey together. Um, and then that's when, again, claiming my narrative. So at work, I started going by my last name, which is Chavez, Chavez. So people just knew me as Chavez, Chavez, Chavez. And that was part of my personal brand. Like I wanted people to know that I was Latina and that I spoke Spanish and that my name meant something to me. Which is really funny because I wanted to change my name when I was younger. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a Chavez. And I'm like, I own it. <laughs> it's part of who I am. And mm. I, after, it was really going up the the battle or up the mountain of those six months and after those six months I was like I can I can keep doing this I can do this and I just started being in spaces primarily white spaces 
and always disrupting or having something to say in conversations. And I remember people just being sometimes shocked because I know sometimes people didn't think I was Latina if I was in a primarily white space. Um, and I always like would interrupt or I would always say something that I thought was like needed to be challenged. So I started challenging people a lot, challenging the way that they communicated or what they communicated across. And I'm like, why did you say that? Can I ask why you said that? And understand people would just be shocked. Like, uh, like, I don't know why I said that. Um, and really just understanding that like I was here to make a difference and I did. And in the last five years, I feel like I've made a difference a lot in people's lives and my students' lives and in the workplaces around here when I was involved in a lot of the community events. Oh, I love that journey. And it's been five years. It's been five years of you in Seattle making a difference. So what is taking you to Nashville? Is it because your job or is it because it's like, you know, I feel like we feel the reset. Like we're like, all right, we're ready for a new chapter. Like, I feel like it's, it's this internal push of like, get on us, right? Like, I want more. Is that yeah. what that was? Or was it purely because you said, yeah, all right, talk to us about that j journey and decision because leaving a place is not easy. It's not, you know, and you know, you believe in a lot of manifesting stuff. I can say this. It's like, I feel like I asked the universe for all these things and the universe just gave me it like in rush in rush. So I was actually going to leave in the, in the winter. I was like, I cannot do another Seattle winter. Um, partially is that in this, in my journey, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition that affected my gut health. So last year when I was first diagnosed, I was in a really, really dark place, to be honest. Like I was navigating the, the nuances of the condition. I was in constant pain. I was in the doctor like three times a week, like in and out of different procedures. And then the gray hit the Seattle gloom, we call it. And I'm like, I just, I can't for my own mental health and sanity. But I had been visiting Nashville for the last five years, tw maybe twice a year. I love country music, but that's <laughs> not why. And I think it's really, I called it, I call it chapter 29, which is this <laughs> last year of my 20s. Every year is a chapter for me, but I'm like chapter 29, like what's next? I'm like five years. My job is completely remote. It is already been approved. I've been approved to move to Tennessee already. And I don't have anything holding me here anymore. And I feel like, and I tell this to people, the Seattle I moved here four or five years ago is not the Seattle that is now. And I, back to metaphors, I speak about it as shoes. We outgrow shoes. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like we wear the shoe, yeah. we, wear, we wear our Nikes at the gym and you just constantly wear them and you're just like, ooh, you know, I'm not feeling these shoes anymore. Like they're not doing its job. Like I need sturdier shoes. I need, mm. I need a shoe. I need a little <laughs> bit of more comfortable sole. Like I just, I need upgrade. to upgrade my shoes. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's, they're fitting tight around the edges. Oh, it's coming apart right here. Like my toes hanging out. And <laughs> I feel like I love Seattle. Like, so I, I do own a house. I own a property 30 minutes south of Seattle. And, um, I ended up getting renters like ahead of time, like a friend of mine was like, hey, like I need a house to rent for me, my mom and my daughter and I'll give you anything. So like I have renters lined up who and like this renter like worked in construction before. So like, oh, I can do home fixtures for you. Like, they want to do a two year lease. They want to move in earlier. So like all of these things started lining up faster than I had thought. And now I'm moving in June instead of November because like everything was like aligning for me. Um, and I was receiving, you know, all of these signs from the universe. I, I have, I believe in angel numbers. Um, 
And I started seeing like my angel number and just Same. finding all these confirmation. <laughs> yeah, like I have I have my angel number tattooed on my ankle. <laughs> um, and I just started seeing confirmation from the universe. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. So chapter 29 is me moving to Nashville this time before my 29th birthday. Um, I had never, I've never lived in an apartment before. Fun fact, <laughs> I've always rented rooms and houses. And then I moved into my own house four years ago. So I just signed a lease with an apartment complex. It's my first time in an apartment. Never have done it. Never lived on my own because I've wow. always had roommates. <laughs> always, always had roommates. And I've never lived on my own. So it's going to be me and my dog um, in Nashville until I buy another property. I, I really want to buy another property. My goal is actually to own five houses by the time I'm 35. <laughs> so crossing fingers. Oh, my God. Okay, so I want to... <laughs> so many questions I have for you right now. One of them is, when did you decide to be a homeowner? And what was that process like? Because let me tell you, I love seeing Latinas. And yes, I'm emphasizing Latinas. I love seeing Latinas out here owning homes, owning properties, and fucking securing the bag. I love to see it. Like, I love to see it. So talk about, one, like, when did you start this, like, journey? And what was the catalyst behind it? The catalyst behind it was not wanting to pay rent in Seattle. Like I, I have told myself, like, I'm like, I don't want to pay $1,800 for a one bedroom. Like I want to, I want that to be mine. Like, I'm not going to see rent at the end of the year. Like it's going nowhere. And part of that was people kept telling me I couldn't do it. I hate when people tell me I can't do something. Like I, it's again, that catapults me. I'm like, no, I'm going to show you. I'll show you how valuable L would could be. Like, I'm just like, no, do not tell me I can't do something. <laughs> Um, so I remember, so I got promoted after my first year at my organization. And like, I wasn't making a ton of money. I was still in the nonprofit sector. And so I, I met the, again, universal lining. So I met this Latino realtor at this, uh, like, uh, it's called Alpha. It's like Association of Latino Professionals event. And we just started talking homeownership. And she said, well, have you applied? Like, have you gotten pre-approvals? Like, What's that? She's like, oh, you have to get a pre-approval through like a mortgage lender and see how much you could. She's like, it's like how they approve you for a credit card. And I had, I didn't know what to do. I was just like, okay, yeah, like, let's do it. So I got a pre-approval. And with my income at the time, I did. I got approved for a certain amount. So it's like they give you the amount. And I, I was like, wow, that, that's it. Like, I can do this. And the mortgage lender broke down, like, the payment. And I remember, this is something I give advice to, like, he told me, like, my credit score basically saved me in all the whole process because I was able to get a low rate at the time, super cheap mortgage insurance, the conventional loan, which in mortgage is a bunch of three different tiers, but everything again aligned because I had been working on my personal finances since I was 18. Like I had, I got a credit card at 18 and I always paid it off and all of these things. So when I was shopping, I ended up buying south of the city. That's where I can afford. And I've house hacked my whole four years. I've always had roommates to a point where for about a year I was basically living mortgage payment free. <laughs> and that was what I wanted to do too, because I was basically stacking up for another house. So for about a year, I had all of my rooms filled and I was renting them at a very affordable price in this area where I was living for free. So that was part of it too. Like I want to live for free so I can use my paycheck to enjoy my life. Because mm. not my pay my paycheck's not going to go to rent or mortgage. It's going to go to like the things I want to enjoy. 
And that was really it for me. I'm like, I knew I wanted to live for free so I could enjoy my life and also save more money to to buy another property. Um, because I, I believe that, you know, for me, real estate's really important. I know people make their passive income in various different ways. But for me, real estate has always been interesting to me. Um, and just kind of being a land, I've, and I've learned so much about being a landlord too. Like I had to, I had a fire a roommate once, like I had to kick her out. That was scary. I was like, that was really scary. Like I've, I've had all the stories and, um, you learn skills from that too. Like I've learned about leases. I've learned about plumbing. I've learned about things that are like scary AF, but I had to learn it all. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like very tedious. And so I've learned a lot of skills in my own homeownership journey as well. Mm, girl oh, I love to see it you're so you're an inspiration for that because I think we need more examples of, of Latinas of Latinos in general just like owning and and this is why I love this podcast for so many reasons because I get to see and hear from people like you who are out here doing amazing work and I just like a part of me is like fuck yeah like this is what I want people to see about Latinos we're not the stereotypes y'all see on tv we're not I don't know what y'all think of us, but we're not many of those things. Maybe we are a little bit of Sasson in there, but I think we are so much more and it's our time. Like it's our, that's what I always say. I'm like, it's our time to really show the world what we're made of and show them that we have so many things to offer this world, to offer our communities more than they could have ever imagined. Same as you, like I hate when people tell me I can't do anything or when it, they're like, it's going to be really hard. I'm like, watch me. That, that's my inspiration. <laughs> It is. I was telling my mom about that too. I'm like, I, I, I'm tired of people telling our stories. You think about the way that they portray us. And I think TV has gotten a lot better and media has gotten a lot better. But a lot of the times, like I would say 99% of the times, it's people outside of our cultures telling our stories based on these stereotypes and what they see. And I'm like, no, like I'm going to tell my story, like tell this story from my lens. But we have to be the ones to to showcase that we can break stereotypes because those are not us. Those are, they're, they're not real for us. Um, and with homeownership, mm -hmm. I, I, I think with homeownership, it's super like, I would definitely coach people through it because it was a lot for me in these last four years, which is like why I want to try to rent for a year. But I know that I'm going to buy again because I've already done my research and, you know, I've seen what I was able to accomplish just through this you know, and my home went up in crazy equity. Um, so I'm so glad I bought when I did. And I know it's a little bit harder and I definitely think it's attainable with like right coaching and right mindset um, for those who want to achieve it. But it it goes back to telling the story because I, I want to leave my kids something too. Like I want, I want, I tell my mom, like I want my my kids to be like, dang, my mom was a chingona. Like that's how I want my kids to talk about me. <laughs> girls same I always think about that I always it's so funny because my boyfriend had mentioned at one point like he's like I feel like you like doing things for the story that you're going to tell your kids and I'm like yes like that's my inspiration is my future and I remember someone on my podcast said it one time he's like I can't wait to have kids because I can't wait to tell them like I've been working for you like I've been doing all this for you and it's a really like makes me emotional thinking about it because Again, our parents did everything that they could with the knowledge they had, with what they had. And I think we have that plus so much more. And the things that we can offer our future generations, I'm just like, my kids are going to be so lucky. Like, 
that's how I, that's how I see it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it comes to, I know we're going to have a conversation about that in a few weeks, but it comes to like what you mentioned um, in our group about like Steve Arby and like not wanting his kids to like, like, yeah, I want to give my kids everything, but I also don't want to like do it in a way that's going to take away from showing them the sacrifice. Oh, girl, it's something I, no one stresses out more than me about my future kids. Like, I'm like, <laughs> man, these kids, they're, they're so well thought out and I'm not even close to having kids. But I'll tell you, I listen to episodes like Steve Harvey and I, I learn from people a lot, like older folks who have kids, who have families. That, like, nothing hit me more than that episode of Steve Harvey when he was like, my kids will always have a safety net. And he said that he talks about it with his own homies that are, same thing where the first in their families to make it but now their kids are having such a different life compared to what they had and it's this dilemma right like you want them to know hard work and hustle and grit right like you want them to have all these things but you don't want them to go through everything that you went through to get it but like how do you get it otherwise because that's all you know yeah it's that's realish that's realish I think about <laughs> it a lot like I'm like well if again back to like Things didn't happen to me. They happened for me. But I'm like, well, my kids, that's probably not going to happen to them because I'm going to parent different. So how will you learn to be resilient? How will you learn to hustle? How will you learn boundaries? Like, I think about that all the time. Girl, all the time. My 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 friends are like, relax. You're not having kids next year or anything. But I'm <laughs> like, this is something I need to think about. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it, it comes with that, that I don't know, it just comes with that growth. And it comes with like, you you and I had talked about vision a lot in our prep session, like you're almost following the vision. And I think I'm always, mm-hmm. and this is something I, I tell myself all the time. I'm always thinking about 10 years ahead or like what my kids will go through, what life would look like in the future. And sometimes I do have to remind myself like, girl, be in the moment. But there's a vision there and the vision, I want it to be clear. I want it to be, I want to work towards something. You know what I mean? And so I think there will always be this dilemma of they're just going to grow up so differently. And you know what it makes me think about, too, is our parents. Like, our parents probably looked at us mm-hmm. and said, oh, you guys have it so different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I still get that. My, my dad always calls me malagradecida. He's like, I had it so much harder than you. And I'm like, but I still have it hard, though. Like, right. it's a different hard. It's just different. It just looks different, but it's still, it's still, like, and, you know, technology just makes things worse. Yeah, it's still real. I'm like, my feelings are valid too. Like, I know you had it hard, but I have it hard too. <laughs> um, I think it's just like with, yeah, like we just, you gotta learn, you, you learn grit differently and just recognizing that grit is learned in, in different circumstances. Oh, absolutely. I know we're out of time and I want to do um, a little bit of these with you. But before I do that, how can people connect with you, learn from you, check you out? Fun fact, she's on the Hella First Gen audio series. <laughs> uh, yeah. But let people know how they can connect with you. Yeah, LinkedIn, girl, I love LinkedIn. It's my BFF. Hey. Like, I, I got all of my jobs through LinkedIn. Like, I advocate for LinkedIn so much and networking. So LinkedIn, so just find me, Melanie Chavez on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's like my, uh, my what is it, the slash score is Melanie Chavez 13. And my Instagram is handle melon, como un melon, M-E-L-O-N. K-N-E-E underscore. So Melanie <laughs> underscore. Um, so LinkedIn and Instagram for sure. Um, and like, yeah, just I, I put a lot of content on my LinkedIn as a recruiter and 
um, on my journey from nonprofit to tech. And I'm always coaching, you know, other first generous young students or people who want a career pivot. So LinkedIn would be best. Okay, hold on. Pause. You have like another minute to yeah, hang out with me? Yeah, Because I want to talk about your are now Latina in tech from nonprofit to tech. And we know what tech money brings. Like, talk about that transition, like being from nonprofit into being a Latina in tech officially. Yeah, I cried when I got my offer letter because, and again, part of the journey of moving to Seattle, I didn't know tech was a career until I moved to Seattle. And it's not coding, right? Like, I'm in recruiting, I'm in the people side, but just that move itself and having these experiences and meeting people and this constant journey of like networking, but also building my brand and also doing really great work because I think you learn so many skills that are transferable in the nonprofit sector. I've been wearing like 10 hats in a job once. I'm like, eh, which hat am I wearing right now? And you're always in the go, go, go. And you have to be really resourceful. And, you know, through networking, through partnerships and really a full circle moment, um, starting a job with one of my community partners four years ago and always keeping these relationships strong. Um, yeah, I just I just transitioned to tech literally two weeks ago and I'm so excited for what I'll be doing and what and also bringing in more people like I believe in lifting while you climb. Like I say that model, like lift while you climb. If we are not the ones changing the faces like we have to in order to change the story we have to change the faces and we have that power so as a recruiter like i'm just so excited to bring so much more diversity not not only in gender and ethnicity but in, in life experience and that's what i'm so excited to do um in these spaces that that need us like these spaces need us and <sighs> yes they do girl tech, like, <laughs> uh, and back to tech money i I just want to continue to build, which is why, like, I want to continue investing in real estate. I want to give more philanthropically. I want to give back to the communities and to the people that help have helped me get here. Mm. And you're so right, girl. Recruiters have such an important job. And I'm always sad when I, when I see recruiters not representing the faces that should be represented. So shout out to those who do and shout out to you for being in that space. It's going to be hard. But it's going to be, well, for you, no, because you have all these connects too. But I think it's going to be such, we do need people like you because we need to transform the faces of these big companies that are creating things for us. And if they can't represent, they don't know us, they can't serve us, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thank you for doing the work that you do, girl. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I feel so just beyond grateful to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what? Like angel numbers, manifestation, all those things. Spirituality saved my life, too. I would say I always talk about it. And I'll, I'll tell you this quick story before we go into our, our reading these. But I, I'm I'm all about telling everybody about angel numbers, about spirituality. This ladybug color means this. Like, that's me. And <laughs> I remember. What's your angel number? What's your angel? Mine's 333. That's mine. <laughs> that's mine, too. Really? I, I literally tattooed them. Yes. <laughs> no, it's true, true, true. I started so seeing them everywhere. Funny. Everywhere. That's when I'm like. And that's so funny because that's literally the story I was going to tell you. I am a big believer in that number. And my man's, he woke up. He he told me this story. He woke up at three in the morning, three three thirty three, and he was like, "Babe, I know you're going to get all excited or whatever." He's like, "What does that number mean?" And I was like, "What?" I was like, "Let me tell you what that means." And I told him it's abundance, right? It brings blessings. It yeah. means like something good is coming, like something good is coming for you. And 
to this day, he's been so blessed in his job and things have, he works in real estate, speaking of Latinos in real estate, he works in real estate and he has been so blessed. And I'm just like, you know, I think it's signs from the universe, signs from God that we're in the path that we're in for a reason. And honestly, like someone like me, I need those reminders. I need that reminder of like your purpose is, you know, your purpose is here, like, and you're not done yet, like keep going. And those reminders to me, this is why angel numbers, manifestation, spirituality saved my life because it makes me feel like I'm going to be okay, you know? And like this life, I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep loving life. I'm going to keep learning about life, learning about myself. And I think spirituality can do a lot for you. And same as you, fortunately, I grew up religious, like, and it was, that taught me spirituality. It was almost like my gateway to spirituality, I call it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like our intuition draws us closer to it. Like, and that's when I always know when I get these pings and seeing that number all the time, I'm like, this is, this is when I know I'm on the right path. And yeah, mm. same, save my life for sure. Oh, girl. Well, let's do a little brindis. Okay. Um, <laughs> she got her little copy ready. <laughs> I want to give you the space to say what you want to cheers to and what you want to manifest for our Latino community. I want to cheers to connection. We are all connected by story. And what I want to manifest for our community is this continued abundance and prosperity. And for everyone to know that you, it's like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, like we all have the answers to the questions we seek. So keep asking questions because you will receive the answer. Cheers, girl. Cheers. Salud. Now y'all know you got to connect with Melanie after this episode. Catch her on LinkedIn. That's where she's most active. And catch her at my next Hella First Gen Audio series. She's a usual. And it happens every month. So make sure y'all tune in. If you don't know about it, follow me on LinkedIn for all Hella First Gen updates. And see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme for all Hella Latino updates. Follow Hella Latino Podcast. You can also follow me on my personal Instagram at ojasmine and find me on LinkedIn. Check out my website, odalisjasmine.com for more information y con mucho amor, tu amiga Andureña.